we are continuing in our series in the book of Revelation. And um, today we are jumping into chapter 6. Now this is usually where when people study the book of Revelation, they'll, they'll get into uh, chapters 1 through 5 and then they'll hit the pause button and they'll skip it. And then I'll pick it back up again in chapter 20, because it gets a little messy in the middle. Well, listen, do you think Jesus would do that on purpose? Have John write a letter on an island of Patmos to the churches, just so you could skip reading some of those chapters and letters in between? I don't think so. So this morning, we're going to purposely jump into chapter 6, and uh, you can see on the, the subtitle is, The Horses Are Coming! Aren't you glad for that? For all you Western cowboy folks out there, this is a great day for you. Um, uh, So we're talking about some horses, and we'll see what that's all about. But we're going back to June 9th, 1973, a horse named Secretariat. Now, I have to tell you, I did some, I actually watched this movie last week because of the talk today. Since it's on horses, I figure I had to watch a horse movie. So I'm prepared, you know. Anyway, Secretariat. Setting was the Belmont Stakes, the third leg of the infamous Triple Crown. And the Triple Crown, of course, it's the three most renowned horse races in our country. Secretariat, you know, came to the race amidst um, a bunch of fanfare. Man, he had he had fans all throughout the country. He had won the previous two legs of the Triple Crown. And people were wondering, hey, would this be the first horse in 25 years to win the Triple Crown? You can just imagine the emotion, the excitement on this particular day. Well, you had horse racing experts that were thinking, you know what, the Belmont Stakes, it's not really suited for, for Secretariat's uh, strength. You know, Secretariat came out as strong, a strong runner, runner, a fast runner, but distance, that's a little, you know, we, we're not sure. Kentucky Derby, which he won, is a mile and a quarter. Preakness is slightly shorter. It's a mile and three-sixteenths. The Belmont Stakes, which was this particular race, is a mile and a half. Now, for you, you might think, well, that's not much more, but to a racehorse, it is. And so on that particular day, the bell sounded, the gates opened, and man, Secretariat just ripped out of the gate. People in the stands were thinking, holy smoke, there's no way that he can sustain that kind of speed for this entire race. And they kept waiting for him to fall back, and never happened. In fact, as the race went on, he became faster and put more distance between he and the competition. And by the end of the race... He beat everybody by 31 lengths, never done for, done for before like that. And in fact, he, he ran it in two minutes and 24 seconds. That record still holds today, by the way. Now, was there a secret behind Secretariat's running? Well, in fact, there was. When they finally had to put Secretariat down, they did an autopsy on him. They looked at his heart, man, he had a healthy heart, but here's the deal. It was two and a half times larger than any other horse's heart. In fact, it weighed 22 pounds. The average weight of a horse's heart is only eight and a half pounds. 
That's why he could run and as strong as he did for what he did. Now, this morning as we look at horses, you need to know that God has put a secret in you to live your life in such a way that you could run victorious. You can run the race and finish strong. You don't have to peter out. You don't have to become weaker as this race goes on. God has planted something inside of you, and it's a huge heart. God's heart, in fact. He's living inside you. And we see in 2 Peter 1 how that happens. And It's not going to be up on the screen, so you can open your Bibles. Verse 3, by his divine power. Whose divine power? It's God. You see, you can't do this on your own. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. This morning, as we look at chapter 6, Revelation, you might start wondering, hey, what's this all about? Sounds a little creepy. These horses that we're going to be talking about, a little creepy. But you need to know that God has his hand on your life. You're here on purpose. And the cool thing is, the Lord gave this letter to John on purpose because the church was struggling at that particular time, 95 A.D. The church in the world was going through heavy persecution. They were struggling. So why would God send this letter to John to write to the church who's struggling? Because back, as we look forward to 2019, December 1st, we get to read this same letter on purpose. And God wants to make a difference in your life and my life this morning as we look into the future. We peel back the curtain. And we know that Jesus and God, God is on the throne. Jesus is the Lamb of God in heaven. That's what we've been studying the last few weeks. Last week, John was wondering who is worthy to open up this scroll. And finally, the Lamb of God, Jesus, came out. He was worthy. This morning, he's going to start peeling back the seals, those seven seals of this scroll so that you and I can have a picture and see what the future holds. So let's go to the book of Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. As I watched, that's John, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. And then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder. What does that say to you? That means it's loud, right? There's loud again. Come! I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the lamb broke the lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus, broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and authority to take peace from the earth, and there was war and slaughter everywhere. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. 
I looked up and I saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. In other words, you'll work an entire day for one loaf of bread. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. And I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. And these two were given authority over one quarter of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. And when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. Let's talk to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your word and we think about you, Jesus, gave this word to John 95 AD. And here we are on a Sunday morning, December 1st, 2019. This day will never come back again. We're already ten and a half hours into it. We can't, we can't put it in reverse and rewind it. No, it's, it's, it's here, it's going, and it will be gone. And that's why it's important, Lord, that we take full advantage of these minutes that we have to read your word and apply it to our lives. To examine the condition of our hearts in our relationship with you. Because, Lord, as we, as we get into this text, we're going to realize, man, people's hearts get pretty hard and calloused. And we don't want that to happen to us. And so help us, God, to to pay attention, to listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever hear of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? (laughs) That's that's where we're landing today. Uh, And aren't you glad that we're not skipping chapter 6? Yo! Yeah, we're, we're, we're sticking with it. Yeah, you can go some places and they'll, you know, they'll jump out of it. We're sticking with it because it's in the Bible. It's good. It's good. It's in the Bible. So, so therefore, it's there on purpose. Um, Cowboy was applying for insurance. So he went into the insurance agent's office for the, you know, routine questions. And the agent asked him, have you had any accidents? And the cowboy replied, no, I haven't had any accidents, and he thought for a while, and he said, well, actually, a steer kicked me in the ribs once and broke two of them, and rattlesnake bit me in the ankle, and the agent said, hey, don't you consider those accidents? No, said the cowboy, I think that he did it on purpose. (laughs) Jesus gave this word to John. On purpose. There's a purpose to it. You have to realize, friend, you're not here wasting time. The only, the only way you're wasting time is if you don't apply this to your life. This is on purpose. And so, number one in your notes, tribulation begins. Look at, you know, through verses one through eight, the tribulation. And we, tribulation is a seven-year period in history. That's coming in the future. And 
John is giving us a picture of what that looks like. The, 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 the time of the tribulation, it's given six, 60, six zero different places throughout the Bible. No other subject is presented more in the Bible. Number one, it's salvation. Number two is the second coming of the Lord. And tribulation is number three. And you would say that has to be important, which it is. Um, we see that we're in the seven seals in chapter six. We'll be moving into seven trumpets. We'll be moving into seven bold judgments. And they progressively get worse as we go. When you think of difficult times in history, for all you historian buffs out there, you might think, well, you know, a dark time in the world was, you know, the dark ages. Yeah, that was, that was a tough time, for sure. Um, the Civil War in America, man, was a tough time for our nation, for sure. World War I and II, yeah, tough times, man. Uh, the Depression, living through that. Some of you lived through it. Some of you, your parents lived through it. Yeah, man, it was a tough time. But what John is saying to us this morning is, the tribulation, there has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be anything beyond it. It's spoken about. Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, In all history there has never been such a time of terror, referring to the tribulation. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel. Daniel 12, 1, then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. And then Jesus himself prophesied this in Matthew 24, verse 21, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. So, that's great news. Jesus is telling us what the future holds. Now, The Lamb of God, he came as a lamb. People spit at him. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They crucified him, and he did not retaliate. Why? Because he was a lamb. And for all of you lamb lovers out there, that's how lambs operate. It's kind of like a worm. You ever take a worm and you put it on the hook? What do you do, spit at you? I don't want to go on a hook. Get me off the hook. I'm going to get even with you. No, the worm never fights back. Pretty compliant. Jesus was considered a worm. Psalm 22. He never struck back. But remember, we looked at, he was not only the Lamb of God, he's the lion from the tribe of Judah. And with that comes justice throughout world history. Listen to me now. Sin has consequences. People think, and even today in our culture, people think they could blow God off, they can blow his word off, they can live their lives the way they want to because it doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. If you want God's blessing on your life, the only way for that to happen is to read his word, apply it to your life, And nurture that relationship that you have with him. My purpose for living is to become more like Christ. That's my goal in life. It's pretty simple. I can't do it on my own. I have to allow Christ and his power to live through me for that to happen. 
But my goal is to point people to Jesus. This past week, um, I was in a business in Mount Horeb, and, and the conversation came up, and uh, we started talking. I started talking about, hey, are you looking for a church to this person? And he said, as a matter of fact, we are. We just we moved into the area, the Madison area in July. Uh, we haven't found a church. And then I, we, I, I talked about our oldest son, Bo, pastors in Manhattan. Somebody else in the room said, where was that? And I told her. And she's, she started talking about the big church in Korea. And then we started talking about Kanye West and his album, number one. And Bible's given, being given out. We talked about that last Sunday. So I was like we were having church in this business. And this one person started opening up and being very transparent. Man, I realize when I drift from God, my life is going nowhere. Just out in the open, man. And I realize I need to come back to the Lord. And things definitely change for the better in my life. And I was thinking... All we need to do as followers of Christ is open up our mouth because people are hungry. People are listening. People want to know that there's more to life than just breathing air and exhaling air. I'm here on purpose and you're here on purpose. And it's to model the very character of Christ. Point people to where he is because the door to heaven is open. Revelation 4. John said the door to heaven is wide open. If you're messing with God, it's not a game. Because the door is open, because this is a time of grace in our world. And Jesus is calling. And here's the deal, and we're going to see it in just a moment. We can receive Christ or we can reject him. You have that much power. But I want to tell you something. There's a price, and it's dangerous ground when you reject and you reject and you reject. It's, it's not positive. And so, this morning, we're grateful. Now, let's get on to the horses. Are the horses coming? Yes, they are. Number one, the white horse, symbolic. The white horse is symbolic of deception. Verse 1 and 2, as I watched, the lamb broke the first of seven seals on the scroll, and I heard one of the four living being say with a loud, with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. And he rode out to win many battles and gained a victory. Now when you think of a white horse, I, I googled, I, I figured John Wayne had a, right, a white horse. He had to. And I googled it and he didn't. And I thought, Roy Rogers for sure had a ride a white horse. And I googled that. No, Roy Rogers did not have a white horse. The dude in the Lord of the Rings, man, he had a white horse. Huh? Remember that? Woo! And so when you think of a white horse, you think of victory. You think of the good guys and ladies are coming to help, right? The cavalry is coming to rescue me. Listen, this white horse is a horse of deception. In other words, you have to be fully aware Don't be tricked by tradition. 
You need to drill down and find the truth. And here we see it. After that first of seven seals is open, a counterfeit of Jesus comes riding in on a white horse. You know, who the, you know who's on that horse? It's the Antichrist. This is the beginning of the tribulation. And he's going to come in. And notice, notice uh, he has a bow. A bow. There's something missing. He doesn't have any arrows. That's like having a gun without bullets, right? Doesn't do you any good. A bow, but it's on purpose. Because the Antichrist is thinking, I'm carrying this bow, it's a sign of authority. But I don't need any arrows because if I had arrows, I would intimidate people. And because I'm a great negotiator. Because I can deceive the nations for peace. I don't need arrows. I'm coming in with a bow, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a threat. So he's coming in like that. There's no threat. He's got a mask on. He's deceiving the world for power and control. And so we see that uh, Jesus is not coming on that white horse until Revelation 19. That's where we have to drill down and say, there's Jesus on the white horse. Let's take a look at it. Revelation 19, 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly. That's good to know. He judges fairly. He doesn't have a temper, you know. I got to get eaten. No, 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 no. And the wages, he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him with, that no one understood except himself, and he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Notice it says his head, there were many crowns signifying his authority and sovereign as ruler. So the first rider, the Antichrist, is imitating Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's an imposter. And it's interesting to know that a crown was placed on his head. This, this in the Greek, is a temporary crown. It's not a permanent crown. It's a, it's a crown where a marathon winner would receive the laurel wreath. So in other words, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't last. It wasn't made of metal. It would decay. It would fall apart over time. And that's exactly what's going to happen to the Antichrist. He's going to rule for a time, but not forever. People will think, ah, the Messiah. The Messiah has come. We've been waiting for him. And what he was doing, he's replacing Jesus, sleight of hand, the deceiver. Jesus said in John 5, 43, for I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. See, it went on when Jesus walked the planet, they rejected him, and they're rejecting Jesus today. Some of you and your family, you, you experienced that firsthand. You've talked to your family about Jesus. Some have mocked you, and some have scorned you, and some have just been silent to you. They rejected him, and yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. Jesus is even referring to the Antichrist right here. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, this man, the Antichrist, will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. That's going to happen. So, that's the 
The Antichrist and the white horse, he comes as a deceiver. Number two, the red horse, that's symbolic of war. Verse 3, when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come, then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. So, for the first three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to rule with peace. The mask comes off and he's going to go ballistic and war will rage throughout this planet. Revelation shows this color red as terror. Well, there's carnage. For example, uh, we see the red horse here in chapter 6. A red dragon shows up in chapter 12, verse 3. In chapter 17, 3, a scarlet or red beast is going to show up. These are not good things. These are basically terrorists. And so the red horse and its lethal rider will engulf global warfare. Just a footnote, since 3600 B.C., there have been 14,531 wars in our world. 292 years of peace. That comes out to 2.6 wars per year. One year of peace out of every two decades. It's not a good track record. And that's why even today in the world you know if somebody would come on the scene and say, I will bring world peace. Listen now, things are heating up. Iran, the latest, the latest is they're going to play, have war games with China and Russia. Think about this, China, Russia, Iran, all three networking together. People will be ready to have somebody come and say, I will bring world peace. World peace. So, next, we have deception, we have war. Number three, the black horse, famine. We know that after, after war, during war, usually famine follows behind it. Battlefields are destructive, and... Uh, Getting food to, to populated areas, roads are, you know, it, you know how it is. Verse 5, when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come, I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. Famine follows war. Food gets contaminated, shortaged, etc. Four, a pale green horse, symbolic of death. Verse 7, when the lamb broke the fourth seal. Let's just pause for a moment. The lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus, broke the fourth of seven seals now. I heard the fourth living being say, come, come, John. I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death. Now, this wasn't one horse by itself. There was another horse and rider. His companion was the grave, Death and the grave. 
These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. I want you to stop and think about that. Sword, famine, disease, wild animals. We'll get to that in a minute. There's a deadly mix here. One quarter of the population will be gone in the world. That comes to 1.88 billion people. The population for China today is 1.47 billion. That means the entire country of China would be annihilated plus beyond. Gone. Boom. Just like that. So with war comes famine. With famine comes malnutrition. With malnutrition comes a breakdown in our immune system. And guess what happens? You've got a bunch of hungry wild animals looking for something to eat. That's that's what's going to happen. It's creepy for sure. Satan will bring about this carnage. But remember, Jesus is allowing you to hear and read this and to see it with your eyes, your imagination, on purpose. Because this is going to happen. Number two, the cries. So the horses have come. The cries, how long? Symbolic of martyrdom, martyrs. Verse 9, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. Holy and true. I am so glad we can trust him. He is holy and he is true. Hmm. How long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Verse 11, then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred had joined them. There's, <clears throat> there's great persecution often when we're obeying the Great Commission. You may wonder why God allows, you know, stuff like terrible things to happen like this, martyrs. That doesn't, what's that all about? We have to always remember this. In Romans 5, verse 12, it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. All pain, all suffering, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. It just ushered in all of this. And since that time, sin has filled this planet. And there's always consequences for that to happen. Think about martyrs, those who love Jesus. Why would anybody want to kill someone who loves Jesus? Because they're a threat. 
You go into a socialistic or communist country where God has been evacuated out of that country and their government, and dictators come in, Jesus is always a threat. That's what's going on in China right now. That's why they're tearing churches down. They're arresting pastors. They're their face, facial recognition with people going into church and coming out of church. They're being isolated. They're, they're, they're losing their income. They're losing their jobs on purpose because Christianity is a threat to a communist country. When you have God in the center of a government, you have freedom. You have liberty to live your life Honoring to the Lord. Listen, when, when spiritual renewal took place in our country, and it's happened three major times, you know, what, you know what usually happens? They have to lay off police officers. They close down taverns. It, communities just change because people love each other the way Christ loves them. See? Isn't that cool? You go into a communist country, man, they, they've, got, they've got cameras everywhere because they can't trust anybody. They, they listen in on your conversations. They, they track you like you're an animal because you're a threat. And so, that's why. That's why. So, martyrs, shows that martyrs, there were more martyrs produced in the 20th century than in any other century combined since the time of Christ. In fact, it's been estimated that since 1950, at least 10 million believers have been put to death for their faith. See? That's a lot. And so we see these tribulation martyrs in Revelation 6, 9 through 10. They're crying out to the Lord, Lord, we were murdered because we loved you. Lord, what are you going to do about it? Well, once again, we're in, the, we're in the time of history with God's grace and his mercy. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's how Jesus lived his life, as the Lamb of God. But when he comes as the Lion from the tribe of Judah... Justice is being served. And these martyrs during the tribulation recognize that justice is being served. And they realize that Jesus will bring justice to their deaths. That's what they're saying. And so, how does God answer? Well, he gets a white robe. And he gives it to each of them. And listen to what he says. They were told to rest a little longer. And to the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred had joined them. What does that tell you? That tells you that Jesus is fully aware of what's going on on this planet. He's keeping track. You're not just a number, but you're there on purpose. And that's why that's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? 
Is anything worth more than your soul? And I submit that to you this morning. Is there anything worth more than your soul? No. No, there isn't. Because your soul will live forever. You cannot destroy it. It lives on. Number three, trouble in the sky. Verse 12, I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal. This is where we're going to land today. Going through one through six seals. Symbolizes the cosmic disruptions. I want you to imagine this now. Listen listen to the... To the words that John is writing, he says, there was a great earthquake, but that wasn't it. The sun became dark as black cloth, but that wasn't it. The moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree, shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. What does that tell you? That tells you there's a lot of shaking going to go on on this planet. To move islands and mountains. and There's trouble in the sky. The earthquake, a sun became dark, moon like blood, stars falling like figs. You would think this would be a great opportunity for people to put their faith in Christ. Is that what happens? No. No, it isn't. When you think about heaven, the door of heaven being open, giving you an opportunity and me an opportunity to put our faith in Christ for an open heaven. When God would judge, bring justice to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, he always did it hoping that his people would come back to him return to their first love. And here, the same thing is happening. He's, he's hoping people would put their faith in Christ. But, not so. You take a look at, at uh, Romans 8. When you look at what's going on here in Revelation 6, the planet is kind of self-destructing, so to speak. Romans eight eighteen. For what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he, Jesus, will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The entire planet, because of sin, the weight of sin, the consequences of sin, it's, it's groaning. Oh! Because sin has filled the planet. <coughs> so what happens when the cosmos disrupts? Number four. People are hiding from God. They're hiding from God. Verse 15, Then everyone, the kings of the earth, 
the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person. Is that everybody? Yes or no? It's everybody. That's what John's saying. It's pretty much everybody. Listen to this. All hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Let me ask you, who is that? Who is sitting on the throne and who is the Lamb? Who is it? These people know who it is. They know who their Savior is and they don't want to speak to Him. They don't want to pray out, cry out to Him for mercy and forgiveness. Instead, they want the mountains and the rocks to crush them, to kill them. Do you understand what sin does, friend? It causes your heart to become hardened and calloused. Why would you want to hide from God like this little dude? Huh? You think that's going to work for you? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because I can remember when I was a little dude in a vacation Bible school. And my teacher was going down the pew to see who would put their faith in Christ. I remember distinctly hardening my heart. I could feel my heart harden to say, no, no, I don't want to. Isn't that crazy? As a little boy, I had the power to reject Christ. And I think about sitting on an airplane in the terminal waiting to start moving. We had some time and a lady got up from her seat and she told the dude off to the side about Jesus. And the dude took his hands and he put them up to his ears and you could see the hate on his face. You can't talk to me about Jesus. I'm telling you, that, that riveted in my mind. The hardness of heart. And years ago, I, I had a friend from town. He had a heart attack. I went up to the hospital to visit him. He wasn't expected to live, and I, I asked him if I could pray for him. He said, yeah, and I, I, I gave him the plan, the gospel. I come home, and his wife calls me and just unleashes a barrage of swear words and don't ever pray for my husband again. Well, he lived. He survived for several years beyond that. What, what, what causes people to do that? A hatred for God. And here you have humanity, an opportunity for them to call out to the Lamb to the God who sits on the throne and they are cursing him and praying to the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, to kill them because they don't want to come face to face with the lamb or with God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all, 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 A-L-L, all stand before Christ to be judged. 
Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. See? There we have it. There we have it. And all I can say this morning is I am so grateful that all the way back in the garden, when sin entered the world, God had a plan. He knew his son would have to leave heaven and come as a baby to grow into a man, to die on a cross for my sin and your sin so that you and I can have forgiveness of our sins, to be reconciled back to the Father. And check this out, what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 25. He, Jesus, gave up his life for her, you and me, the church, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word, He did this to present her, that's you and me, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she, the church, you and me, will be holy and without fault. That's a yoke time. We we don't have to cry for the mountains and the rocks to fall on us. We, We are faultless in the eyes of God. We can come without fault, without blemish, boldly, confidently into his presence because of what Jesus did. We don't have to call for the mountains and the rocks to fall on us because we don't want to face. I'm looking forward to that day because I'm faultless in the eyes of God. I'm blameless in the eyes of God. I'm not perfect by no means. But God sees me forgiven and righteous. And so, how is that with you this morning? How's your heart? Have you felt your heart become hardened and callous towards the things of God lately? Just drill down, you know, put a light in there and is your heart open to the things of God? Are you embracing what God wants with your life? What is, what is the one thing that's preventing you from growing in your relationship with the Lord? What is that one thing? What causes you to become disconnected with God and the choices you make with your life? See, the Spirit of God is here this morning. This, this chapter 6 is here on purpose because just like those folks on this planet, they're going to call out, pray to mountains and to rocks to fall on them. Uh, That's pretty serious. That's what sin does. You think you can keep flirting and messing with sin. No consequences. This is a consequence right here. And it's for all eternity. So, We're in winter. If you go up north, there's a bunch of snow. I know you guys miss it, but this is avalanche season in snow country. If we were to fly into Alaska, the Turnagain Pass years ago, there were warnings put out for avalanches. Stay off the mountains. 
Reason being, there was eight feet of new snow that had fallen over older snow. The sun had been out that day, warming the mountains, beating down on it, and there were avalanche warnings everywhere. But guess what? That didn't stop snowmobilers, because they were bigger than the avalanche. They knew better than the warnings. And so they wanted to see who could get up those 2,000-foot-high mountain, the fastest and the highest. But you know what was interesting? There was a more sobering warning, the danger that they were in, and they simply ignored it because 20 minutes before the major avalanche, there was a smaller one in a nearby gully. But the snowmobilers just kept on going, ignoring the warnings. And when that big avalanche hit, it was a mile wide. Snow roaring down the mountain. And some onlookers recorded what had happened and just showing massive slabs of snow breaking loose and sliding down the mountain, a powdery cloud, and engulfing the snowmobilers along the way. Several people died that day. None of them had to. You know why? If only they would have listened to the warning. If only. Sometimes you wonder if God thinks like that as well. Every time somebody goes into eternity unprepared, if only they would have put their faith in me. Because God is allowing you and I to have a warning this morning. It's a loving warning. Just the same way a parent would say to their son or daughter, don't play in the street. It's a warning. It's a warning. But it's a warning of love. God, our loving Heavenly Father, is submitting that same warning out of love to you and to me. How is it with you spiritually this morning? Because if you continue to go down that road of resisting God and your heart to become hardened towards God, you will join the crowd in this world who instead of praying to God will pray to the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. That's not right. And God knows that's not right. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to embrace his forgiveness and be reconciled to his father once and for all. And Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity we've had to read these letters that the Apostle John wrote long ago, which simply means we're so much more closer to those days that we just studied. So much more closer. Can we afford to to play this game of Russian roulette. I've got more time. I, I, can, I can get it on spiritually in another week or next month or next year. No, no. Because what happens is our hearts just become harder and harder. We don't even realize it. And instead of crying out to our Creator and Savior of the world, we cry out to mountains and rocks to destroy us. And so, Lord, 
this is serious. Help us be transparent with you right now. Is it well with my soul? Is it? It is well with my soul. Is it? your heart to become hardened towards God. Holy Spirit, come and soften my heart. Soften my heart right now, Lord. I confess my sin to you. Jesus, you paid for my sin debt in full. It's paid in full. I can't do anything. I can't impress you by being in church this morning to show you how good I am. No, no, no. You've paid it all. You've done it all. I need to receive that free gift from you. And so, Lord, I receive you, Jesus. I believe you were my substitute on the cross. I should have died for my sin, but you paid it all. morning, Lord. I'm not going to procrastinate any longer. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to give excuses why. I'm simply going to come as I am. Here I am. Forgive me, Lord. I receive you, Jesus, into my life as my Savior. And I thank you. Before we close out, I just want to give an opportunity for just moments. What has the Spirit of God been saying to you personally? Jesus' name.